I learned to ski when I was very young. For the last 25 years, my family has always taken one or two long weekends out of the year to go skiing. Living in the heart of Appalachia, there is no shortage of ski resorts just a quick car ride away. One of the resorts we regularly find ourselves at is Snowshoe Mountain Resort in West Virginia. We usually stay about 10 miles away in the small town of Cass. Founded by the West Virginia Pulp and Paper Company around 1900, Cass was a town filled with company workers who were logging the nearby Cheat Mountain. White houses with picket fences lined the streets in a very orderly fashion. In 1960, the mill closed, and in 63, the state purchased many of the company houses and converted them into lodgings for tourists who come to fish the Greenbrier River, take a scenic train ride up the mountains, or go skiing at Snowshoe. When I was in high school, we made one of our annual trips to Snowshoe. We rented one of the larger company houses to accommodate our large party. I was there with my mother and father, my two older sisters, Aaron and Susan, Susan's husband, and family friends, Matt and Debbie. We'd stayed in Cass before, but this house was different. It was larger than previous houses with three bedrooms upstairs and a kitchen, living room, and dining room on the main floor. It was also the only house in Cass that I've been in that had a basement. So naturally, we had to check it out. It was dark and empty with a dirt floor that reminded me of a cellar. The only thing down there was the water heater. Susan, Aaron, and I got an uneasy feeling we couldn't shake, so we left quickly. It turned out the uneasiness was not unfounded. We settled in on our first night, trying to get good sleep in preparation for a full day of skiing. In the middle of the night, Susan, who was sleeping in the living room, was awakened by the sound of ice shattering outside and the house shaking. She looked out the window and couldn't see anything. No one upstairs had seemed to notice. The next morning, Matt went to his car to find the back window shattered, but it looked like it was broken from the inside. Nothing was stolen, including the beer and skis, which would have been a good target for any thief. Matt assumed some kids had broken to his car and got scared and run off. There being nothing we could do about it, we decided to head up the mountain to ski. Mother and Debbie stayed at the house. Neither of them were big skiers and usually used these trips as an excuse to just get away for a weekend. They were both relaxing in the living room with the television on. Mom decided to brew a pot of coffee. When she walked into the kitchen, the door to the screened-in back porch was wide open, as was the door to the outside. She closed and locked both doors, thinking someone left them open while getting ready that morning, and returned to the living room. After a few minutes, she walked back to the kitchen for a cup of coffee, only to find that, once again, both doors were wide open. Debbie never left the living room, and no one else was in the house. Throughout the rest of the day, my mother kept seeing someone out of the corner of her eye, and felt like someone was in the room with her. That afternoon, while lying on the living room couch, she also heard the sound of a family. That afternoon, while lying on the living room couch, she also heard the sound of a family setting the table, preparing for dinner. Our last night in the house, after everyone had gone to sleep, Matt was awoken by the sound of doors opening and closing, and footsteps in the hall. When he fell back to sleep, he was awoken again by Debbie calling his name. She had woken up to see an old man standing over her, trying to lift her out of bed. By the time she called out for Matt, the old man had disappeared. In retelling the story, Debbie said she had the feeling like she was a patient being visited by a doctor. We later discovered the buildings behind the house used to be a doctor's office and an attached hospital. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey, 
And I'm Michael Tatum, and this is Ghoul Intentions. Welcome to Ghoul Intentions. I'm just going to say it differently oh, I, every that's time. That's fine. You're allowed to. Do what you <laughs> fucking want. You. Thank you. Um, for those who heard our last ghost of <laughs> you might have noticed that we were both under the weather quite a bit. Like, like the weather had pinned us to the fucking ground. It was real bad. I believe I'm going to be getting better because I'm taking all the medicine you're in the world. You're certainly going to be getting something. That's right. <laughs> I have a, I'm a, I went to the doctor yesterday. I yeah. got a steroid shot in my hip. You got all the things. I got prednisone. I got an antibiotic. Yeah. And pseudoephedrine cough syrup. Holy shit. And that I have to be careful of because it makes me feel <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just on the other side of stoned. Oh, when like you just on like when you're first stoned or yeah, like right or, before you break through the membrane separating sobriety and stoned. And you're like, here we go. No, it's when you've gone a little too far. Oh, oh. So like when you go from high to you'll actually sit there and watch the credits high. Kind of, but like also with a little butt, like you've gone too far on that. You're coming down off of a drunk. Oh, when you boo. Just, it's like when you it stops feel being okay. fun and it starts feeling more like I'm tired and sick and I have a headache. Right. I don't want to do anything because then I'll get a headache. But if I just lay here <laughs> and watch bullshit on TV or the YouTubes, scary stuff on YouTube. I'm also much more reactive on it. I'll oh, scream speaking at of stuff. scary stuff, we should probably thank Katie for the oh, opening story. Thank you, Katie. Thank for you, that Katie. Story. That was a really was good, story. good story. I've I've been skiing once in my life, and I promised myself I would never do it again. Oh. A lot of people have pet causes. Mine is don't go skiing. Oh, I used to go skiing all the time when I was a kid, but my center of gravity was much closer to the ground. Yeah. I was water skiing and I would go snow skiing. The last time I tried water skiing, it did not work out. I also got in touch with a um, physics principle while I was skiing. Mm, you're very tall. <laughs> Fusion. <so>. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I fell down a lot. Yeah. I had those friends. I had friends that were kind of assholes that were like, let's take him up a big hill. It'll be funny. And it was. To them. It was very funny. And in, it's one of my best stories, but I'll, oh, yeah. I'll, it's another story I, for another time. Water skiing, I would refuse to let go of the, because <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to let go of the handle. Then you just sink into the water, right? Whenever you're done skiing. But I knew everybody, because I was like four at the time, everybody I saw that let go of the handles fell and flipped all over the place. That's true. I wouldn't want to fucking do that shit. And so I would make my grandpa turn off the boat. And turn the boat, and then I would. It was the same shit, but for me, I had to hold on, or I was gonna fly. I mean, I get it. I don't want to be left behind. I had a fear yeah. of that, so I was like, yeah. "No, nope, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna hold I'm on for dear life." Yeah. Oh my how, god. How are you feeling? Uh, better. better. I'm still a little coffee hacky. I think every, I've been getting good sleep this week. Yeah, um, that coughs are up. And that sleep has helped a lot. Night. Yeah. Yeah. I think we just, we realized we have not, Brandon and I have not been getting good sleep since we got the puppy well, because we have a puppy. But now yeah. that he's sleeping through the night it for helps. the first time in probably two months, we're actually getting more than five hours of sleep. Oh, at that's night. nice. So I think I'm getting, I'm on the other side of it. I, I've still that's been right. able to go and work out, you know, so I haven't been oh, sick, sick. Nice. I've just had this upper respiratory thing. So it's just like, I've like, I don't know, I got a pea plant growing in my lungs or something. Right. Uh, but nothing else is wrong, thankfully. So, um, after you read this story, I went downstairs real quick and uh, had some more cough syrup. Yes. I had almost a full dose. Not quite. So it should hit when you I finish my story. You are going to be story. tripping balls. We will which see. Which is great because when I get to my subject, you might be tripping anyway. It'll be great. I can't wait for my reaction. Our title. Should I tell them the title? Oh, yes. Title. 
The title is Blood and Bones. Um, yes. And it comes from uh, a book called uh, The Rifter, Book One, The Shattered Gates by Jen Hale. I assume it's Jen Hale. Uh, Gen or Jen. Gen, G-I-N-N, Hale, H-A-L-E. And the quote is, Petty fortune telling was the field of the wishful. Witches dealt in blood and bones. Yeah. That's a good one. That's I a good, love that's a good that. quote. And very prescient for today's topic because well, you're taking us back to Pendle Hill. Going back to Pendle Hill to talk for about our witches. The witches. And I'm talking about some... Well, we'll get to it. If you have not listened to the Pendle Hill Witch Trial. What are you doing with your life? Go listen to that. It's so fucked up. Yeah. Um, it's all about, it's it's very witchy. Uh, so witchy, in fact, that we didn't have time to get into the haunting and the rest of the area. So. It was so witchy, we didn't have time to get ghosty. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, all right. Pendle Witch Haunting. I got my information from Great British Ghosts. There's a really great article. Uh, I'm not article. There's a really great episode where mm. they talk about a in Cheshire. There's a hotel that's yeah. haunted. Yeah. The something and whistle. I think everything in England is haunted, don't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously. I mean, even if you just drive through there, it's like you're um, like that's haunted. That's haunted. Ghosts. That's haunted. They're all fucking ghosts. How long has this um, tavern been here? Oh, for 500 years. Oh, yeah, and it's, it's and it's the youngest building in town. Okay, oh, cool. Yeah, haunted. Cool. Clearly. Are you alive or dead? <laughs> just have to pass it to everyone. Um, Nick Ravencroft with BBC News, Wikipedia, of course. Chris Great Newton. Great fucking name. Yeah, right. Chris Newton from SpookyIsles.com and the Northern Antiquarian. <coughs> Continue. Okay. So we discussed the Pendle Witch Trials last episode. This episode, we'll be talking about some of the weird shit that goes on in the area. Let's start with a modern discovery. <gasps> a modern discovery? Yes. Like, uh, what? In December 2011. Oh, shit. The water company was sent out for some maintenance, and the engineers were stunned to unearth a 17th century cottage underneath grass, a grass mound. Wow. The cottage was discovered. A whole cottage. A whole cottage underneath a grass mound. That's some shitty foundation work. Or some excellent foundation work. It's shitty mound. It's shitty grassy mound work. That's true. I guess that would just be swallowed you know by what? the earth. It's probably all fine because it was the engineers that found it. Like That's true. They're like, oh, yeah. This the mound was... did a great job covering. And then. You know, everyone did a great everyone job. Everyone did a great job. <laughs> we support this. Okay. So the cottage was discovered near Lower Black Moss, the Lower Black Moss Reservoir in the village of Barley in the shadow of Pendle Hill. Mm. Historians are now speculating that the well-preserved cottage could have belonged to one of the Pendle witches. They're not what 100% was the name sure. It like, was like Shit Tower or something. What was it called? Yes. Um, what was it called? It was, it was a... Molden Tower? Molden. Molden. Molden Tower? <coughs> <coughs> it's not working yet. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Carl Molden Towers. <laughs> That's a joke for people that grew up in the 80s. Shit tower. We're just gonna go. With yeah, shit it was tower. basically the the yeah. The, it was shit tower. I can't it was, remember. It was the 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 crux of the name was that it was it was an it was ironic bad. name. So it was like shit it was tower. Probably shit just tower. A, a little cottage. Yeah. yeah. They're not hundred percent sure, but considering the building contained a sealed room with the bones of a mummified cat bricked into the wall, it seems likely. So many questions. Right, mummified cat. Well, it is believed that the cat was buried alive. Because that was something witches did to protect their homes from evil. Okay. So it's likely. Now, I mean, of course, I mean, it's there still are probably a lot of Seems that like would, a real fucking mean thing to do to a cat. To a cat, right? It's, well, but it's the same thing with burying the church grim, right? You bury it alive. Yeah, I guess. So it's a very similar thing. Man. And it's for protection. I'm so glad for 
So the spirit the of SBCA, no. I know, right? <laughs> um, the spirit of the animal was to protect the house. Now it could have been someone in the area that wanted protection from the Pendle witches. This could be, but like just that conversation you'd have with that cat, like congratulations, Mister Whiskers, you're getting promoted. Yeah. Uh, to protector of the house. Awesome. That's great. What do I have to do? Uh, well, we're going to kill you and wall you up. Yeah, no, we're just going to wall you up. Sorry. Yeah, we're just going to wall you up and uh -huh. you will die from it. So we're just, I, what I said is true, just not in that order. Right. <laughs> oh, God. Surprises. The cat's like, oh, great. I'm yeah. excited to be part of this plan. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. So Frank Gaiko, Gaiko, Jaiko. Frank, from NP Archaeology, <laughs> who unearthed the building, said, It's like discovering your own little Pompeii. We rarely get the opportunity to work with something so well-preserved. Wow. The engineering project was being put on hold while, or had been put on hold, while archaeologists investigated the site. As soon as we started digging, we found the tops of doors and knew we were onto something special. The building is a microcosm for the rise and fall of this area from the time of the Pendle Witches to the Industrial Age. There are layers of local history right before your eyes. Oh, that's so fucking cool. I know. The building also contains a 19th century kitchen range, still in its original position. Oh. Many artifacts from the building's latter years, such as Victorian crockery, a 10 bath and bedstead, bedstead were so, discovered around the site. Well, so it was, it's so odd to think of a house that was still operational in the 19th century being able, like still just completely covered. covered in earth in just 200 years. Yeah. I mean, I get, obviously it happens, but that's... Mm -hmm. In my movie, it was a curse and the earth, like, literally just swallowed it overnight. Protected it. It's fucking cool regardless. I thought that was awesome. So. That is really fucking cool. Yeah, Could you imagine you being an archaeologist being now. like, this is amazing. Like, yeah. this is a fully, like, this is not just, like, this is a whole fucking cottage. Yeah. Like, this a whole fucking, like, a win literal window into and that era. you can see it. <sighs> yeah. So, you'll find a lot on YouTube video, mm. like, a, a lot of YouTube videos with the ghost hunts, right? <clears throat> The walks up to the top of the hill, which is just shy of a mountain, it's a very large hill, is pretty steep and far. And one of my favorite things that I have watched is how tired everybody gets walking. <laughs> They'll just like stop and be like, whew, <sighs> quite a walk. You can see why they buried this thing originally. Yeah. And they, and by the time they get up there, it's usually raining and shitty. And like, there's this whole saying that if it's not, um, if it's not uh, raining on the hill, it's about to be. And if it is raining on the hill, then it's raining down down in the city. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> it's always raining on the hill. So, always uh, raining. Yeah. One, yeah. So I loved that. Um, and a lot of the folks say that the locals don't like to talk about the witch trials. Uh, oh, the, the, the locals don't even want to talk to you about it. But that seems unlikely based I upon... Feel like, I feel like the locals would be like, yeah, this fucking really weird and mm -hmm. not... I shouldn't say awesome. That's a terrible word to use in relation to this. But I mean, like, I could see if they were living when the trials happened. But now it's like, hey, yeah, our town is... Uh, it's worth visiting because this thing happened. It's like Salem, right? Yeah. And that's what it seems to be. Because when they said that, I was like, that seems really weird. And when I looked into it, no, it's not true at well, all. Well, the trial influenced Salem, right? Exactly. Considering... Okay. I've seen interviews with current nutters that are relatives of Alice Nutter. They still live in the area. And they interviewed wow. them about the witch trials. Wow. So, you know, it's... Talk that, about like it, talk yeah. about having roots. Yeah, and it's Nutter for you. To, if you didn't listen, Nutter is her last name. It's not like so, the slang that they called people. <laughs> nutter, you total nutter. Um, yeah, so they talked about the trials. There's also a ton of witch Im imagery used all over Pendle, much like Salem. Mm. They even have a road called Witch Way. The history <laughs> has been thoroughly uh, embraced. I see what they did there. Yeah, 
The Witches Galore is said to be a fascinating shop with hundreds of different types of model witches and witchy objects that can be purchased as souvenirs to your visit. Hmm. The Rising Sun Pub, which is very close to Pendle Hill, even has witchy brews like Witchfinder General and Broomstick Bitter. Man, if I were the Pendle Ghosts, I'd be so fucking pissed. Yeah. I'd be like, you guys, you guys. I mean, I know it's been a minute. But also, is there not like a Nutter Ale? Because it's a perfect name for a nutty ale. <laughs> Point is, I want to go there. I want to go there too. Just wait. But I'm going to be mad. Like, for the witches? Yeah. Like, this is just respectful. It does. That kind of thing, that kind of thing does kind of get on my nerves. But I mean, maybe I'm such a fan of history that for me, history is very much alive. Yeah. And so when people like... I don't know, when some fucking, like, cottage industry comes in and be like, ooh, I can make a buck off of being totally fucking insensitive toward this thing that actually, if you stop and think about it for a moment, like, people were really fucking treated awfully, and it was mm -hmm. a tragedy, and now it's a, on a fucking t-shirt. Right, it's, but... It's kind of sad to think about, like, the worst thing you're going through right now is the future generation's idea of a tchotchke. Right, right. But, all of that being said, they are remembered because That's, there are a lot of yeah, this, people this happened to that they are not remembered. And these women and, yeah. and little boy are. Man, but what so. a price to pay for being remembered. I know. Oof. I know. But so. I mean, if you're going to be hanged and charged with being a witch, might as well be fucking remembered. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I got hung as a witch. I got hanged as a witch. And all I got was this fucking t-shirt. There was, oh my God, there was this one, um, one video I was watching. And they were doing, you know, the spirit box thing. Mm-hmm. Which is so the the really awful thing that's like because it's tapping into a bunch of frequencies at, like in re rapidly and yes, like and then into it picks like up words or whatever. Which of course is going to pick up fucking words. And it's they were tapping like tapping into radio frequencies. Yeah, how did you get hanged? And some of them are really good. And they were like, or how did you die? How did you die? And they were like, hung. Or the, oh no, they said, did you get hung? <laughs> and I was and I paused it because Jack was watching with me, and I was like, if something comes through and says hanged. And corrects them. <laughs> this would be my favorite thing I've ever and fucking did it seen. Happen? No, oh, it came man. through as hung, and I was like, "These witches don't know." <laughs> I was very disappointed. Uh. But um, <coughs> anyway, so it was it was really funny though. But they do that. Then they, also, you can do spirit boxes on your phone now. Like you can do a phone app. We have to fucking do it. I've also decided the other thing I thought we needed to get for our next ghost hunting adventure. Mm. Is a baby monitor. Oh my god! Are, are, yeah, I just yes. saw the baby monitor like top five creepy baby yes. things, and I gotta say, the creepiest thing is not so much the ghost stuff, which is pretty creepy, but mm -hmm. it's also like, eh, I could see maybe that's something else. I don't know. I'm not. I gotta tell you, I'm not as impressed. Well, maybe because it's in context, I'm not impressed by the ghost stuff that people find on baby monitors, if only because far, far creepier are the fucking assholes that will hack into it and like play somebody's watching me or yes. some shit like that. I'm yes. like, that's way more terrifying is oh, a yeah. living person fucking with me. Because right. a ghost, I'm like, well, you're dead. I'll give you. You need something to do. But a living person, I just get mad. That's, yeah. But still, for ghost hunting things, it's like, let's just put some baby monitors in another room. That would room. be fun and creepy. See what we can. There's something just fundamentally creepy about baby monitors. Agreed. A thousand percent. Thank God we don't have babies. Um, Okay. <laughs> I don't want a baby monitor. We're going to get baby monitors and tell the person at whatever store we go to, they're like, oh, it, we're ghost hunting. Yeah. And we're going to make that cashier's day as they go, wow. I know. That's amazing. Yes. And but she's we have gonna, to go and, to and like in my, a... And in my, in my movie, her name's Deborah, And she's yeah. like, oh, well, don't go with that brand. There's a much better brand. Right. But it's at a used store because group. we're not paying full price for that shit. <laughs>
Okay. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> I'll put baby monitors on our wedding registry for me and Brandon. And yes. people will think we're having a baby. Like, no, 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 no. It's just no, no, for the, just uh, for just this, for the, 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 uh, the ghost group. Yeah. <laughs> we're forming. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Okay. So speaking of Alice Nutter, there is a legend, which we were speaking about her before, but we're going to go back to her right now. There's a legend that she was actually buried in her family plot. Mm, right, of I remember course, that. Of course, the witches would not have been buried in the graveyard. Because it was consecrated ground. Because it was consecrated ground. But there's a rumor that the Nutter family paid extra to have her buried there. And if we know anything about churches They'll or take anything, money. money matters. They'll it's be all like, about it's money. consecrated ground, so we can't possibly bury a witch here for less than 20 quid. Yes, exactly. So uh, there is one grave in particular rumored to be Alice's. It has a skull and crossbones on it. They don't know, though, if that references death because it's a general symbol for death mm. or if it's Alice's, but there's no name on it. Weird. So they, the assumption is it is her. But it's a skull and crossbones. Maybe it was a plague victim who died and they it would like, be. and they just treated the body like quarantine. But then why would they why not do that? Have a name? Yeah, that's weird. Why not do the name? So that's maybe why... to protect the family from being quarantined. Yeah, but if they were, re- if it was, it was a wealthy family. Yeah, that's so true. I, think I don't know. It, I think weird. it's, I like to think it's her. I mean, it's a pretty good story. I mean, it's a, it's a mysterious it's grave a, with a skull and crossbones on it, and it just happens to be at the center of all this shit going on. It's involved and it's, somehow. And their tomb is right outside the church as well. Mm, mm, mm. Um, so in that graveyard is under the shadow of Pendle Hill, and it's called St. Mary's New Church in Pendle. The Nutter tomb right outside the church. On the west face of the tower of St. Mary's is a is, – so the tower is original, and they've redone it and like – Wow. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the tower, but like you mean the tower, the like church the, tower. The, okay, the church tower, the church not tower. not the not tower, not the shit tower. No, not the shit tower. The church tower. It's the church tower. Okay. Where the graveyard sits. Just keeping around. track of all the towers. There's a lot of towers. This one is not made of shit. It's made of God <laughs> and love. And there's a carving on it that's known locally as the Eye of God, which is believed uh, to be put there to protect the town and villagers from witches. Specifically. It's like a giant holy baby monitor. Yeah. it's To me, I think of it, it's a holy baby monitor or an evil eye protector, right? It's That's kind of what it is. Mm. And it's, uh, this graveyard in particular is where it's believed some of the items needed to create the pictures or the dolls of mm. particular people used for cursing and things oh, of that right. nature. The puppets. Like the, yeah, the, yeah right. the, the, the puppets, voodoo doll type yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where those items were gathered. They needed human hair and teeth, amongst other things. And it is believed some of the women did make these dolls. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. I mean, we don't know for sure, but... I mean, because, I mean... It yeah, was the, the practice. It was a thing. People did that. They I mean, did it. whether it worked or not is a different issue, but it was believed to work. And so people did go did. grave digging for yeah. those things. Yeah. And this is where they would have gotten those items. Mm. And so it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Are you desecrating that grave? Whoopsies, ghosts. Ooh. Everywhere. So people in the graveyard will hear faint whispers and voices. They feel pricklings at their feet. And a lot of people just get a very uncomfortable sensation there, just in the grave in particular, or in the graveyard in particular. I'm sure anybody in a grave would feel uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) So, and that happens day or night. So Mm. don't feel like you have to go at night and be that person. (laughs) Then, okay, a bit down the hill from the graveyard is Ginny Well. Folklore has it that an evil spirit in the form of a boulder would roll down the hill to drink from the well. Realizing the story, the stone contained the spirit of Ginny Greenteeth, a river hag who lured young children into Ooh, ponds and Ginny Greenteeth, them. what Ginny a great Greenteeth. name. Know, right? Beware Ginny Greenteeth. Yes, 
She is the river hag who lured young children into ponds and drowned them. Oh, kind of like the Japanese kappa. Like it's a folklore spirit. Oh, yes, a, yeah, folklore yeah, yeah, spirit. Yeah. A priest to an, took an axe to the boulder and smashed it to pieces. It is said that her ghost still stalks Jenny Lane, now human in form, except for her head, <gasps> which the priest had chopped up. Oh, a headless witch ghost. Yes. Now I, I imagine at some point there was an old woman who had green teeth and she would get her water from that particular well and the local kids were fucking shitheads and made up story and kids and made up a story about a witch like all the other witches. Oh, she's like the other witches. She just She's got green teeth. And maybe she, she just was totally... really in like maybe she like I don't know, there might some herb that she used to like yeah. rub on her gums that helped with, right. with arthritis or, or something. She was on her teeth were rotting out of her face. I mean, could be. Um, back in the day, I feel like back in the, especially British people in those days, it's like, who the fuck are you to criticize someone's teeth? I know they're children. Their teeth were fresh. Oh, little assholes. So what a story has been set up. That's kind of my opinion. Mm, mm, And mm. I feel that way because I did the same thing with a haunted house, made up a story about a house on my street. Sure. Did I say that? Did I tell you that story? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. for those who haven't heard, it was a. It was a house and there was a picture in the kitchen and the and you could only sit in the backyard and I would tell people you can see something moving there. And years later I went back. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh-huh. Years later I went back and it was um, people knew the house was haunted and they would tell me about the picture that moved. And I was like, I fucking started that shit. It was amazing. But I couldn't change <laughs> it then. It was my story. It was my story. So I mean, <laughs> that's how things can happen anyway. That's true. Uh kids can be awful, but but she might it also, you know what I in my movie, okay. this uh, old woman um was just sick of the kids pranking her all the time or calling her cat calling her and so she's like i'm a witch and she like tricked them in some way to make them think like you know whatever she's like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna act like a witch because yeah. you know the last she'd go, eh, and show her teeth at them and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Puts, she'd put whatever that ointment is first eh, and then they'd right, run away. Right. she'd go to the get in, her water in my and movie she embraced it and right. she scared the shit out of the neighborhood kids because oh, they were like, good. oh, people are scary. And she's like, you have no fucking idea, kid. Right. Wait till you get here. Old then, age is scary. And then she saves one of the kids who becomes her friend and buys her a cat. It's great. And then they bury it into the wall. <laughs> okay. So. And the cat takes his revenge by sinking the whole cottage into the earth. And Ah, it was her cottage the whole time. It's a very convoluted story we're making up. I like it. Let's watch this movie. Uh, but we should make it first. Okay. So, kids. Uh, the location for the hanging of the witches mm-hmm. I saw is now a park with a playground and swing sets. That happens a lot. Uh-huh. You know that? Do you know the, um, there's a place in London. Um, it was a tree that was a very popular hanging spot for a number of years, for centuries, in fact. And uh, only when Britain outlawed uh, executions of that kind that they, the, the tree, I forget what it's called, like the Typhal tree or something. It mm-hmm. became the place where people stood on the corner to like have free speech. And you know why that was the, the birth of like free speech, uh, you know, on the streets or whatever? What? Is because if you were condemned to be hanged, Mm-hmm. Um, you were allowed the courtesy of you. You could say your last words could be whatever you wanted, um, and so that spot then became well. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna stand here and speak my mind, hmm. whether I'm being hanged or not. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of the birth of uh, free speech in the 20th century, uh-huh. or the 19th century, rather. That oh, spot, right. That's where good. gallows used to stand. Anyway, a little tidbit for you. Also in England, right? Of course. The more you know. Well, I didn't see anything specific, but I have a feeling those swings swing on their own. You know what I'm saying? When it's not windy. 
Those are always the creepiest videos when you see a swing just like going. It's just like and a the set one of next three to it's not moving at all. Yeah. You're like, what the fuck? Okay. Why is it just that? The wind's is, not that specific, and it's weighted. You know, so it's not. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. not just like free. It's like it's oh, it looks like it looks like a butt is sitting in that thing. Yes, there's something. An invisible it. butt is those weighing it down. Are kind of my favorite. I love those. They stories. are really okay. chilling. The history of Pendle is quite quite old because. Of course it is. Um, but it is actually a Bronze Age burial site. Ooh. Pendle Hill specifically. So according to the folklore, the devil was having trouble with the folk at Clitheroe Castle, a few miles west, and wanted rid of it. So he picked up various large stones and put them in his apron and then threw them towards the castle. Most of them missed, which made him angry. And in a rage, he accidentally dropped a great pile of rocks on the south side of Pendle Hill, creating the devil's apronful on Apronful Hill. Very rocky little hill. Okay. I love this image of the devil being like, what could I do? Damn it. I'm the devil. What can I do to take down that castle? Mm -hmm. I know. I'll throw rocks at it. I'm going to throw rocks at the rock. You're the devil. That's really, that's all you got? You know, back then, (laughs) the gods were Kids making up stories. Well, that's true. Uh, This would have once been a rather huge tomb, but there's very little left of it. Those who did the quarrying further downhill near where the cars park are likely to have been the culprits who took most of the rocks that once made this huge forgotten tomb. But as you look around, it becomes obvious that you're standing on the much denuded remains of an ancient monument. And you can still get a good idea of how large it was. There are hundreds, maybe even several thousands of stones just on and below the ground, scattering a very well-defined, roughly circular area measuring 21 yards by 22 yards, right by the side of the path. The edges of this ransacked tomb are pretty well defined around the north and eastern sides. Near the center of the old structure is a very noticeable dip in the ground. Don't know why, if it was like a natural Hmm. creation or something they dug specifically. But for whatever reason, that's what you need to look for for location purposes. Okay. Viking tools have been found amongst other items on the hill and in the area. It's fucking old. Yeah. It's old and has been used. So there is no telling what kind of spirits are on the hill. When you consider that the witch trials encouraged even more pagan worship, because who knows how much of that was done beforehand anyway, and the hill, it stands out. It's mm-hmm. almost a mountain. It is a place that the Druids and, yeah. you know, they would go there. Like it had energy. It had energy. So you've got that old energy. You've got the, the witch energy. You've got uh, more pagan worship happening there because of the witches. More witchcraft Devil worshippers have been up there. All kinds of Ouija boards, seances, and other supernatural portal creating things. (laughs) Theatrics. It's a lot of theatrics. But there is an endless supply of what the fuckery on that hill and in the surrounding areas. (laughs) Yes. People get EVPs. They get weird feelings. They get touched. They get scratched. There's all Uh, kinds of shit that happens up on top of the hill. I love it. Uh, So Let's go. Just wait. Just fucking wait. Okay. Oh, God. Okay. On top of that... George Fox, a Quaker founder, Mm -hmm, had his mm -hmm. famous vision on Pendle Hill in 1652 during the early years of the Quakers. According to his autobiography, quote, as we traveled, we came near a very great hill called Pendle Hill, and I was moved of the Lord to go up to the top of it, which I did with difficulty. It was so very steep and high. When I was come to the top, I saw the sea bordering upon Lancashire. From the top of this hill... The Lord let me see in what places he had great people to be gathered. 
Pendle continues to be linked to the Quakers, who used the name for Pendle Hill Quaker Center for Study and Contemplate Contemplation near Philadelphia. So Pendle Hill is in the States as well. Wow. Yeah. It had quite well. So it, it's come here. It's another folk way into America that yes. they made. Wow. Yes. And as far as visiting goes, the Witch's Quarry or Foes Falls Quarry Quarry is where old Demdike claimed to have met the devil and he promised her that she would have anything she desired in return for her soul. Just help me throw these rocks. Just need some help with the rocks. <laughs> he was still there pissed about dropping them all. <laughs> you can actually climb and repel the wall there. Oh. They used to not. The owner used to not allow it, but I think you can do it now. They also have a couple of different walks that will take you uh, through some of the major points of interest to the trials. Different farms and home locations of witches and their victims, as well as statues of the witches are placed around there. There's this really great statue on one of the roads of uh, Alice Nutter. <coughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, and she's just like standing there. It's a really cool statue, but it's by the road. And I imagine it scares the shit out of people as they drive by. They're like, I think, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I just think of like the, the statue of Sam Houston. Right. But it's not as big. It's more not life size. Oof, yeah. And people get like creepier. Yeah. People get weird energy from the There's statue. There, all as all well. over Dallas, there are little like, um, life-size statues of people in like normal positions like on a bench yes and you're like that's a bench where people use it and there's this guy oh that's a guy made of stone or there's like children frolicking in mm -hmm. you know near a fountain and their statues it's so fucking weird it is all over dallas all over yeah uh you can also of course hike to the top of the hill to do some ghost hunting or just you know get in contact with ghosts from whenever as you know well as possible demons whatever you want to do but it's the, thing. the it's walk a could be like board. seven and a half miles like walking around it all if you want to do the whole wow. walk. It, you can do it in two parts and it's pretty cool hmm. and this place is so fucking ready for us please <laughs> listeners in the uk go to the fucking hill and i want you to tell us everything and i even <laughs> found you some events to go to, to oh my god know. please 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 all right there are now there are plenty. There are a ton of different witch and ghostly gatherings, especially near Halloween. Oh, like yeah. there have been witch parties on the hill. Hell like, yeah. Yeah. Uh there are more than just the following that I'm gonna say, but here are a couple that stood out to me. Feel free to choose your own haunt venture, though. Thank you, Melissa, for coming. Haunt the term. venture, yes. She in our last ghosticles, she coined haunt venture, so we're gonna go with it. Haunt venture. Uh the Pendle Witch Weekend specifically, mm. just Google it, is just under 200 pounds for the weekend of Friday, October 18th through the 20th. You stay in a haunted hostel, take a ghost walk with a town historian, a seance, a museum visit with tea and biscuits and shit, more tours, <laughs> a ghost hunting workshop before the big ghost hunt oh where you are taken after eating more yummy food Holy to shit. the hill We've where more go. shenanigans occur, and then you go back to the hostel and do more ghost hunting. Sounds fucking awesome. I mean, that sounds like a fucking honeymoon. Yes. So good. Okay. So if you don't want to do the weekend, there's another one that just happens on the 18th. Okay. Right? So a couple of days before the other mm, one, mm, this mm. is this goes to Pendle Hill specifically. It's about 40 pounds and takes you to the Barley Moe Inn, which is super fucking haunted. Barley Moe. There are psychic medium demonstrations, dinner, the hill ghost hunt. Of course, you have to go to the hill. And the uh, more ghostly hunting and seancey shit back at the end later. Nice. I want to go so bad. Come on. Uh, there are a lot of options if you go. So please go and tell us all about it and tell that we, we can go for ourselves. Yes. Do you know if there's any Comic-Cons in Lancashire or something anywhere? Let's just go. We should do it. For the hell of it. Let's just go. I mean, let's just go. Let's just fucking do let's it. Let's do it.
Oh, my God. So that's uh, some of the hauntings and a little more Ooh. history of Pendle Hill specifically. And things to do. I love things it. Things to do. I love it. it like their so Chamber good. of Commerce, Jane. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Maybe they'll pay me to visit. <laughs> and so that is a Pendle Witch. Thank haunting. you. It's still fucked up. Such a fucked up so story. Fucked up. So fucked up. Do you want to take a little break? Let's take a little break and okay. then I'll get into my subject. Okay. All right, we are back. We are back. Oh my god. Okay, so I wanted I wanted to do something about this guy for a while, but it's such an, I mean, it's such a hard subject to tackle because he's just there's so much. So I decided this is kind of an overview okay. of um of the the occult side of the life of Carl Gustav Jung, one of the most uh, one of the most famous psychologists. Y E U uh, J U N G. J U N G. German. All right, Jung. Got it. Yeah, Jung, 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 Jung. I'm. I pronounce it Jung. I, I could be wrong. And for I anyone, I am. I do not pretend to be an expert in in either psychology, psychoanalysis, or psychiatry, or or for that matter, on Jung or Freud. But I know he's enough not, about them to start a conversation. He's not going to pretend it right now. Yeah, I, I over drinks absolutely, yeah. but right now. <laughs> <laughs> But so, do you know about Carl Jung at all? Does that name ever mean the anything? Name it's it's CG. Yeah, uh, it's uh, CG Jung is what he's normally known yes, as. CG yes. Jung, right? I've seen the name. And for sure. um, he's extraordinarily influential psychologist mm -hmm. who um, he wasn't a student of Freud's, but he did. He did. He was an associate of Freud's, a colleague of Freud's when he was young, and uh, and kind of Freud took him under his wing, and they had a major disagreement, and. Um, Jung for a long time was kind of the the mm, the Plato to Freud's Aristotle. You know, okay. there was just two schools of thought where like Jung was like they just went a different direction, and he's still very influential. Like his thinking, and he still founded um, a lot of the concepts that psychiatry uh, still uses today, oh, like the archetypes. Foundational. Um, yes. So like the idea of archetypes, the idea of uh, dream interpretation. Um, mm, I love kind of dream interpretation. Well, and and Jung was all about that, and Freud, you know, was the first to to write about the interpretation of dreams in a scientific context. But Jung took it further because mm -hmm. for Freud, everything tended to reduce to just these basic drives of human instinct, and Jung disagreed with that. Jung was like, no, there's more to it than that, and here's my thinking on it. But Jung was a very um, he had a bizarre life and he oh. had a lot of there were a lot of occult influences mm. in his thought that is it's lesser known. Um, because his professional publications are very like, you know, oh yes, this, that, and the other, and here's here's the psychological principles. And he wrote a little bit about things like dreams and and paranormal experiences, but not not much until later in life when he was like, really? oh, here's it. But it goes back. Well, it makes sense though, because I think if you are someone who realizes the power the brain has over your body and your life, then it stands to reason that that power would be right. more than. Well, so let's talk a little bit about Jung's ideas and what inspired What's them. What's his time period? When's he this is this is twentieth uh, century. So, early like, 20th? this is the this is the earliest. Well, he died in the sixties, I believe, or seventies. Right. So it was so pretty mid. much the first. He had the like, first like the best furniture, like the first two thirds of you know, <laughs> no shit. Um, we'll actually talk a little bit about that. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm I'm. Entitled this part uh, "Young at Heart" because I'm cheesy like that, but I love it. Let's just tell you a little bit. I'm, let, let's set the scene. Uh, now, first of all, it takes chutzpah to argue psychology with Sigmund Freud. Luckily for stout Germanic stock like Carl Gustav Jung, an early advocate of psychoanalysis and later its founder's most famous rival, chutzpah was never in short supply. As a young man in Vienna, he was about thirty something. 
He'd come to the master with a puzzling dream, one he felt resisted standard Freudian interpretation. Freud invited Jung to take the couch. He wasn't fucking his mother? That's what that was about? No. Uh, Freud invited Jung to take the couch and uh, set about unpacking the loaded imagery springing from Jung's unconscious. Try though he might to dissect the younger colleague's dream in the harsh light of scientific inquiry, or at least what passed for it in those days, according to Freud. Freud, then in his 50s, couldn't get Jung to agree with his assessment of the dream. Now, Jung downplayed this at the time. Papa Freud didn't exactly take opposing views in stride, and he knew this, but it did bring about uh, a sea change in Jung's uh, burgeoning worldview, especially as it concerned psychology and the nature of the human mind. Now, inconsequential as a simple disagreement over symbolism may appear, much like the dream under consideration, it was only the tip of the iceberg. What began as a tiny rift between two of the 20th century's most influential thinkers, one of them then established, the other yet to make his mark, but soon to go on record, actually ignited the pagan revival still flourishing today. In the dream, Jung saw himself descending the levels of a large multi-story mansion from attic to cellar. Its decor and furnishings grew progressively more antiquated the deeper he went. The upper floors boasted all the modern modern amenities, plumbing, electricity, telephone, fine imported upholstery, etc. The lower floors, in contrast, grew dank and medieval. He had to navigate by torchlight past smoky fireplaces and moss-worn gargoyles until at last, he found himself in a massive subterranean cavern. All around him were the remains of his long-dead ancestors. Their bones towered in great heaps, acting like pylons on which the floors of the house above were supported. Now, Freud took this part of the dream to be a clear-cut expression of what he called thanatos, literally the death instinct. The human psyche, he theorized, comes equipped with fundamental drives, most notably eros or libido, the compulsion to fuck, (laughs) which our ego suppresses for the sake of propriety, giving rise to all sorts of complexes and issues, you know the rest, yada yada yada. In opposition to the all-pervasive libido, however, stands thanatos, the death drive, or what Freud would term our innate yearning for oblivion. Jung didn't buy this. The cavern and its relationship to the house above in the dream seemed infinitely more profound. Now, in hindsight, the dream and uh, Jung's inner rebellion against Freud's hot take on it um, was a watershed moment for him. It inspired uh, his own unique theory of how the human psyche worked. And as psychological models go, Jung's is not only hugely popular, its implications reach far beyond anything Freud would have been comfortable with. According to Jung, and stick with me because this gets pretty heady. All right, I have a lot of cholesterol <laughs> in my body. Maybe the perfect state to, to receive this in. All According right. to Jung, the human psyche consists of multiple levels, much like the, the mansion in his dream. Mm. The topmost level, as you might expect, is waking consciousness. It's Contents are narrow, corresponding more or less with how we see the world and ourselves at any given moment. Beneath that lay several increasingly wide-ranging and mysterious levels of unconscious. First, there's the personal unconscious, in which are stored all the memories and sensations accumulated thus far in one's life, and from which flow the shallower contents of our dreams. Beneath this layer, however churns the collective unconscious, a kind of free-flowing Alexandrian library connecting all of us to a deep ancestral past. This, according to Jung, is the domain of what he called the archetypes. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is to say, models that kind of propel us as a species. Most people are familiar with the archetypes. Did you say species? Species, I might have. Okay. It was a Freudian slip. Oh! Um, (laughs) I'm not sure what it means. Species. 
species. You were just. You were I was just trying to be Sean Connery. Sean Connery. It's one of the archetypes, maybe. But most people are familiar with. Do you think with- Sean Connery? Sorry, hmm? this has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> but you're getting me on cough medicine. So, um, so wow, you're just you, like freewheeling I'm associations. Freewheeling, yes, Sean Connery. He's known for his sh- like. It's that Scottish bro. But but also but it's more so because he does a lot of SHing when there's not an SH. Do you think that's because his name is S E A N and he's just applied his name in a narcissistic way to everything around him? Maybe he had a speech impediment when he was a kid, and so he had like he got made fun of for not being able to say his own name, and so he's like, God damn it, I'm gonna it's say that all Sean. the time. It's, it's Sean, Sean Connery. And it's I don't species. know how true it is that he does that all the time. I just think it's kind of a weird S thing. He, he does may- it all the time. I don't know. I can't do it. Anyway, back to Sorry. Young. That's another saying. episode. So the so the collective unconscious is the domain of the archetypes. And most people are familiar with the archetypes, uh, at least some of them, um, from literature. There's like the hero, the trickster, the mother, the wise old man, God, the devil, etc. To Jung, these are universal archaic images derived from the collective unconscious. They're basically the psychological equivalent of instinct. They are, mm. so to speak, potentialities inherited from our ancestors, hidden forms of thought that spark profound personal transformation when brought into consciousness by way of some culturally charged image or act. Pretty heady stuff, and whether or not you believe in the influence of archetypes as such, and some people don't, the influence of Jung's theory cannot be denied. The fact Jung saw himself as the idea's vessel rather than its creator should tell you something. It's like the very notion of a collective unconscious rose unbidden from the collective unconscious. Is it that it keeps the universe balanced, or...? No, I don't think it's it's that the collect it's basically Jung's way of saying all of our minds are connected at right. a deeper level. Like we share this thing. And when he says like archetypes, he's not talking about specific things. He's talking about they're almost like categories of thought. So like right. the idea of a wise old man, that seems to be an archetype. It seems to be a, a shape, if you will, right. in, in our deep, deep unconscious that gets easily filled by certain things. So when you encounter, say, the character of Dumbledore or Gandalf mm-hmm. or whatever, it resonates with you immediately. Right. Because the there's the already because there's already a you know, there's already a place for him in your mind without right. you knowing it. And so it, it it's basically it's the things the collective unconscious, according to Jung, as best I understand it. It's him, like pareidolia, but with well, it consciousness. Ki- kind of, um, but it's it's just more detailed than pareidolia. Uh, pareidolia. Because pareidolia, dolia, thank pareidolia you. Pareidolia is pareidolia. Um, but it, we'll basically it. he's saying psychologically the power of an archetype is that it has a control over your conscious thought, whether you are aware of it or not. And part of the business, as far as Jung is concerned, of psychoanalysts is to bring, you know, if you're ailing in some way, psychologically, if you have mm-hmm. some sort of mental issue, at least the prevailing theory of psychoanalysis, of psychoanalysis uh, is that, well, you're there's something going on in your unconscious and the only way to really fix it is to bring it into your consciousness mm. so you can fully integrate it into oh, your waking life. like past so like, lives. Like, well, like, sort of, I mean, well, that's the idea with a that, past life. If you acknowledge that this thing has happened in a past is, life, but bring it into your conscious, then you can handle it. So it's finding true, these true, sub-line but, things but most that are But most psychologists will not go that far and say no, no, past no, no, life, but saying, saying things that happen in your life, like, okay, well, why am I afraid to get on a plane? Well, right. if you, under psychoanalysis, you may understand, you may uncover some unconscious memory of a parent maybe locking you in a Closet. Or just, or and, just, you know, something yeah, like I'm, that. I'm not saying that you're going as far into into that, well, but it's that same idea of this thing that happened yes. that you may not remember, or you may remember, but it's not. It doesn't seem to be like mm-hmm. your very first mm-hmm. memory mm-hmm. has a very impactful 
re, like it creates it who you are as a person. And it even, does. you know, like if, if you are, cause I, when I went to my therapist and my mom got divorced when I was very young mm. and I was probably four months old to six months old when all that was happening. And I, I never knew right. my biological father, any of that stuff. So, uh, even it being that young, it was formative about yeah. that separation. And, and and so it expresses itself unconsciously in your day-to-day life in yes. ways that you're not aware of until a psychologist or a therapist can help you make that connection yes. and you can begin dealing with the with that the sort sense. of base trauma. Yeah. Now for young, the difference in that level of that would be like so that memory of mm-hmm. you know that trauma well, of having I don't experienced that it, but... would be well, well you, but your body does. Yes. And exactly. your unconscious has yeah. an its own memory, its own kind of store of memory that you may not that are not you're not conscious of, but exactly. it's still it's memory. It's, it's still functions like memory, right? Yeah. But that would belong to your personal unconscious because it's Mm -hmm. a memory of something that happened in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Jung's consideration, the deeper level, the collective unconscious isn't necessarily, he's not as, as again, as I understand him saying that it's a memory of something that happened in a past life. It's, they seem to be things that we are... how do I explain this? Yeah, no, I'm not the, saying a past but the life. It's like that, right. but not. But Young did believe in past lives and oh, grew well, to believe it because of this. Um, so we'll get to that a little bit. But an archetype is essentially it's something that that all of us respond to that gets filled with, you know, that comes from like sort the reason that like say Gandalf or a Dumbledore or or you know whoever is such a compelling character, ready made, like you don't need right. much, is because we we seem to respond to that with very little provocation. Mm-hmm. And Jung would say, um, I think correctly, that it's because it's appealing to something that that belongs to our deep unconscious that's not from a conscious memory. You may have not ever in your life known anyone who played that role. So you're right. not comparing it to anyone, but there's something in your memory as a as like your uncon your deep, deep, deep collective unconscious right. that your your memory as a member of this species that like, oh, that's the wise man. You know, right. or that's the mother goddess gotcha. or that's gotcha. whatever. And so that's and that's the archetypes are really important to Jung because figuring out what they are is really important to what's called the individuation process, which we'll get into a little bit. Okay. Now, so the collective unconscious was was really Jung's big step forward in, in psycho, psychological uh, thought. But a similar concept can be found, it just so happens, in theosophy, the esoteric American religion established by Russian medium Helen Blavatsky in the late 19th century, which borrows heavily from Hinduism and Buddhism. Now, according to Blavatsky, who we've talked about a little bit here and there, and we've talked a little bit about theosophy here and there, uh, I should do a full episode on it because she's a fascinating figure, a bit of a trickster herself. Mm. Um, according to Blavatsky, an ancient and secretive brotherhood of spiritual adepts known as Mahatmas reside throughout the world, though they're mostly centered in Tibet. These masters have cultivated great wisdom and supernatural powers and disseminate their teachings through a chosen exalted few, Blavatsky being one of them. Of course. Now, uh, whether you believe in that or not, vital to theosophy is something called the Akashic Record, mm, a supposed heard of compendium that. of human events, thoughts, words, and emotions um, that have ever existed or ever will exist, past, present, and future, all encoded in a non-physical plane of existence called the etheric plane, and which certain people 
uh, through meditation and various supernatural rites can have access to. Can and reach it's, the it's kind of a working theory of how divination works. Well, how do you how are you able to tell the future or dip into the past that you didn't personally experience? Well, because you were able to access the Akashic record. Mm. Um, so it's easy to see the parallels with Jung's idea of the collective unconscious. His emphasis on its role in the formation of one's personality, which is far more crucial, he felt, than Freud's idea of libido, because for Freud, everything was sex. Right. Like, we, you know, our personal drives, everything boils down well, to sex. He's marketed so well. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Yeah. Um, but to, but uh, um, but Jung disagreed with that. He's like, no, I don't think it is. Libido does play a part of it, but there's something much deeper that's far more formative and far richer. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where he and Freud split. They parted ways. It ultimately led to a schism between he and Freud that would never heal. Freud also wasn't a huge fan of the occult associations underpinning uh, Jung's key ideas. Though it must be said, Freud didn't discount paranormal phenomenon outright. He merely dodged them almost out of paranoia for fear of discrediting psychoanalysis among his colleagues in the scientific community. Right. Freud always really struggled to say that psychoanalysis and his concepts were were scientific, and they absolutely were not. They were more poetic. They right. they you know, Jung would go on to say, or I, I'm putting words in his mouth. Jung would probably say of Freud, "Well, his ideas work because they they appeal to certain archetypes in the human mind, but they're not scientific." Like for Freud, he thought you can actually lo with the right equipment you could locate these drives. You could locate the libido or eros and de the death principle, all that in the human mind. And, and Jung knew better. He's like, you can't. It's different. It's a different plane of, of thing that science can't really science. The same science that can measure the distance between here and the moon is not the same science that can yeah. apply to human you psychology. You measure things differently. Yeah. And this is all before neuropsychology, of course. But some people still think Jung still has value even. But without Freud, we wouldn't have gotten to Jung. Because... Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and so Freud, I'm not, Freud by no means was Jung the end of Freud, but mm -hmm. Jung was just like one of the, he was Freud taken in a slightly different direction. Right. And he just got really popular because of it. Now, <clears throat> when it came to the occult associations of his theories. Jung had no such compunction like Freud did. He was, in fact, no stranger to occult practices. In fact, it's fair to say the shadowy world of esoteric thought left quite a mark on his childhood in Germany. You see, his mother and grandmother were mediums who held mm. regular seances to consult dead family members. I fucking love that. Jung attended and was often encouraged to try his hand at channeling the spirit world with, he said later, some success. Mm -hmm. He recalls in his memoirs an afternoon when following a heated argument among family members, the table at which these seances were conducted, though not being used to that purpose at the time, suddenly split in half with a thunderous crack. Later, an heirloom kitchen knife inherited from his mother was found wrapped in a cloth broken into several neat pieces inexplicably. Mm -hmm. Now, these were things where Jung would later think there's, there's a connection between psychology like the state of the human mind and the physical world like there's there are things and we'll get into that but he started going yeah there's he believed in visions and psychic abilities and things like that and he thought all of it could make sense within this kind of model that he was kind of working on um, in 1913, at the age of 38, Jung experienced firsthand the awesome and sometimes horrifying power of the unconscious mind when it has something to say. He was plagued by disembodied voices what we would call poltergeist activity now. Mm -hmm. um, he also was racked by visions uh, constantly, uh, some of them of other worlds, and some of these other worlds were positively hellish. Jung, in fact, feared he was having a mental breakdown, perhaps even presenting symptoms of late-onset schizophrenia. Usually, schizophrenia starts presenting late teens, early 20s. Yeah. Uh, and here he was in his 30s going, what? 
Nevertheless, Jung persevered. Intrigued as much as disoriented by his experiences, Jung determined to run with it, convinced his unconscious was trying to convey vital information he couldn't move forward without. He even went so far as to enhance the conversation <laughs> by using hallucinogens. Of course. Sequestering himself in the attic of his home in Switzerland and tripping balls. The copious <laughs> notes and illustrations amassed in these improvised rituals were gathered into the now much coveted, highly controversial, and seldom seen Red Book, a massive tome compiled, compiled by Young over 16 years. As of 2008, fewer than a dozen people have actually been allowed to read it. Oh, wow. I think that's changed now. Um, people have been, uh, large sections of it, Where I think, are it? available. It's it's kept in his estate in uh, Zurich, I oh. believe. Let's go there, too. I would love to go. European now, tour. Jung's harrowing encounter with the collective unconscious left him certain he'd been deified. In fact, he wrote a lot of his stuff after this, and he felt he was channeling a spirit that he named Philemon. Mm. So he kind of shared. There's a lot. There's a lot of famous thinkers that had this kind of experience in that time period, in that in that uh, era. Because you have Aleister Crowley, mm -hmm. who thought he was in touch with some spirit, and this was only a generation before, or actually back about the same time, actually, if I'm getting my dates correct. But all it's all within the space of less than a century. Yeah. Um. You know, you have Blavatsky, who just the generation before had felt she was receiving visions. Now Blavatsky. The founder of Theosophy, she, you know, turns out she was a lot of her works, like the the big, uh, big, huge epic tome that her stuff is based on, was largely found to be plagiarized from other people. But she did popularize it, so she mm. owed that. If you're gonna steal, yeah. <laughs> um, Young's harrowing encounter with the collective unconscious. Uh, left him certain he'd been deified. Okay, we covered that. He later interpreted his visionary states as an initiation into an ancient Hellenistic mystery cult dedicated to the god Mithras. Now, this belief wow. system uh, held a great deal of sway in the final years of the Roman Empire and is thought by scholars to have been heavily plagiarized by another religion then in its infancy, Christianity. Ooh. According to the author Richard Knoll, who wrote a book, The Jung Cult, quote, during 1913 and 1914, Jung withdrew from his former bourgeois lifestyle and it lived out a wild, intense, mad fantasy life during which he believed he was initiated. He descended into a cave and had all sorts of strange dreams and fantasies, which he described in his book, Memories, Dreams, Reflections, in the chapter, Confrontation with the Unconscious. But that book- Is he doing all the drugs then too? Uh, yeah, and having orgies and having like these rituals. I guess he was really living it up. That was um, very Peter Warlock of him. Uh huh. That's uh, the same time period. Uh, yes, it Peter is. Peter Warlock for sure. So Alistair mm -hmm. Crowley would have been before. Just a little bit before. Yeah, but still yeah. within the same couple generations. Yeah, right. Um, but that book, according to Noel, only has the watered-down version of what happened in his own memoirs of, of the account. Noel recounts Jung's vision of himself standing with arms outstretched as though in the throes of crucifixion, a giant serpent coiled around his body. At the climax, his head becomes that of a lion, transforming him into an amalgam of two gods, Kronos and Christ. Because of the Ger German cultural context of the time, says Noel, Jung was a socialist. Um, uh, which would later be Nazism. Right. Well, uh, that is sort saying, of. Well, the National Socialist Party in Germany was what would right. come Nazism really at the time. They weren't really socialist. At the time, yeah. They like to yeah, claim it. Yeah. So it doesn't mean the same thing anymore, but at the yeah. time, yes. Now, Mithraism. Mithra well, it was all 
That was all marketing. That was all a ploy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that was all yeah. a ploy to get um, people to join them well, thinking. And then sadly, we're not done with the Nazis in this story. Um, now, because no. the German cultural context sadly, at we're the not time, done with the Nazis. Period. No, no fucking shit. Jung was a socialist. Mithraism was <laughs> thought to be a direct extension. Uh, that was the the cult of Mithra. Mm -hmm. Mithras was thought to be a direct extension from ancient Persia, and therefore probably one of the oldest, if not the oldest, of the mystery cults in the Hellenistic world. And mm -hmm. furthermore, it had a direct link with the old Aryan homeland, Iran and India. Jung was steeped in all this and believed he was an initiate in the most Aryan of all the mystery cults, the most ancient Aryan spiritual experience you could possibly have, end quote. That's all from Noel. Now, Noel bases his view on how Jung brought his visionary experiences to bear upon the everyday world. He self-consciously gathered a community of German-speaking expats around him as a prophet would, Noel says. You wouldn't get that necessarily from reading his few professional publications during World War I, but if you read private letters or patients' diaries and other archival materials, you begin to see what's going on going on, he deliberately created a charismatic religious group." End quote. Now, whether you agree with Noel on this point or not, Jung did believe that in the years leading up to World War II, his homeland was in thrall to a powerful archetype peculiar to the German people, one poised to wreak havoc on the world, the archetype of Odin. Now, though this amounts to way more than I have time to go into here, um, in Jung's view, the Nazis were essentially a catastrophic expression of the Odin archetype, the cunning all-father and lord of war. When addressing the masses, for example, Hitler, so Jung thought, was clearly possessed by something larger, more compelling, and more destructive than himself. Now, earlier in 1923, writing to one of his pupils, Jung had said, quote, like Wotan's oaks, Wotan being Odin, like Odin's oaks, the gods were felled and a holy incongruous Christianity, born of monotheism on a much higher level, was grafted onto the stumps. The Germanic man is still suffering from this mutilation. We must dig down to the primitive in us, for only out of the conflict between civilized man and the Germanic barbarian will there come what we need, a new experience of God." End quote. Mm. Now, in his book, The Return of Odin, Richard Rudgley maintains that Odin exists in our collective unconscious uh, uh, and has profoundly influenced the course of our modern world. Jung described Odin as an archetype, a psychic complex that does not need an independent existence outside our minds to affect change in the real world. For modern man, Odin may be uh, all in the mind, but we can't just spirit him away by reason because he embodies the irrational side of the Western psyche. These archetypes and behavioral models aren't just objects of worship, says uh, Rudgley. They are the ancient blueprints still working in the modern mind. Now, Jung openly flouted Ju uh, the Ju Judeo-Christian tradition, but not as a scientist per se. He merely used scientific language to convey ideas meant to uh, make his own magical polyistic pagan worldview more palatable to a secularized world. Now, Jung clearly attended, uh, regularly rather, attended seances for decades mm. and claimed to have witnessed his share of psychic manifestations. Though he originally deconstructed uh, spirits in, a purely, in purely psychological terms, even delivering a lecture to the effect uh, to the Society of Psychical Research in 1919, he later doubted, quote, whether an exclusively psychological approach can do justice to the phenomenon in question. The spirit hypothesis, he said, yields better results. Mm. His ideas on the paranormal culminated in what he called synchronicity. That is, meaningful connections that manifest through coincidence but have no apparent causal link. Though it eluded demonstration, scientifically, for obvious reasons, Jung proposed synchronicity as the chief mechanism behind various divination methods like the I Ching and the Tarot, mm -hmm. which he felt 
if looked into, tended to yield pretty remarkable results. Huh. This all plays back to the archetype. Things like right. that work because they speak to the archetypes in us that go farther well, back than our own personal cards history. Are. Exactly. This is the person that represents this, and this <clears throat> is what this <clears throat> means. <clears throat> yeah. Now, it's from like, the 1940s... It's like uh, horoscopes, too, you know? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You and Jung like, included all that. Yeah. Uh, now, from the 1940s on, Jung's writings focused on... Thank you. <laughs> Coast, I had to give him a coaster. Thank, so. I was like, oh, I can't put it down. From the 1940s on, his writings focused on the medieval occult science of alchemy. Now, poring over scores of arcane works written by long-forgotten sorcerers, Jung was struck by how similar the symbols, texts, and magical rites of alchemy were to the psychoanalytical process. Alchemists, he said, weren't so much concerned with transmuting lead into gold. This was just an allegory. The practitioners of what would eventually prove to be the beginnings of chemistry were, in fact, concerned with what psychologists now call individuation, the process by which a person integrates the contents of their unconscious into their conscious mind. In other words, alchemists were attempting to perfect the soul. The crucial stages of turning I thought they were just gold, trying to make fire out of shit. No, gold out of lead, right? Oh, um, but, but using fire. Right, well, yeah, using fire. And the, the, crucial, the crucial stages of turning lead into gold, according to the alchemists, which are blackening, whitening, reddening, and yellowing, uh, each with their own, like, intense, like, it's, you could just, I could talk for hours about alchemy, were to young apt metaphors for the journey of personal growth. Now, as the second half of the century rolled on, Jung became interested in the UFO epidemic. True to form, oh. Jung couched his views on the matter in language crafted to allow for multiple interpretations and kind of protect him from criticism from materialists. Asked by New Republic editor Gilbert A. Harrison to offer up his views on the flying saucer craze, Jung replied, quote, The problem of UFOs is, as you rightly say, a very fascinating one, but it is as puzzling as it is fascinating, since, in spite of all observations I know of, there is no certainty about their very nature. On the other side, there is an overwhelming material pointing to the legendary or mythological aspect. As a matter of fact, the psychological aspect is so impressive that one almost must regret that UFOs seem to be real after all. <laughs> I have followed up the literature as much as possible, and it looks to me as if something were seen and even confirmed by radar, but nobody knows exactly what. In consideration of the psychological aspect of the phenomenon, I have written a booklet about it, which is soon to appear. It is also in the process of being translated into English. Unfortunately, being occupied with other tasks, I am able to meet your proposition. Being rather old, I have to economize my energies, hmm. says Jung. Now, in his book, Flying Saucers, a modern myth of things seen in the sky, Jung says, in the threatening situation of the world today, when people are beginning to see that everything is at stake, the projection-creating fantasy soars beyond the realm of earthly organizations and powers into the heavens, into interstellar space, where the rulers of human fate, the gods, once had their abode in the planets. Even people who would never have thought that a religious problem could be a serious matter that concerned them personally are beginning to ask themselves fundamental questions. Under these circumstances, it would not be at all surprising if those sections of the community who asked themselves nothing were visited by visions, by a widespread myth, seriously believed in by some and rejected as absurd by others. Now, at a time when the popular imagination was engaged in an either-or proposition concerning this most troubling of paranormal phenomenon, UFOs were either real or total bullshit, Young towed the line. Less concerned with whether flying saucers existed in material sense, Young dared to ask what the belief in them might signify. What was going on in the world at large that so many people in so many countries were looking up at the skies and coming away convinced they'd seen impossible objects? Objects Young couldn't help but reflect 
often that often bore a striking resemblance to the mandalas of Eastern thought. Now, the mandala, for those unfamiliar, is a geometric configuration of symbols used in rituals to represent various gods or planes of existence. They play a vital role in Hinduism, Shintoism, Buddhism, Jainism. Jung was absolutely fascinated by mandalas and theorized the onslaught of UFO sightings in the 50s was the collective unconscious attempting to communicate with humanity as a whole, manifesting hmm. itself in ways similar to the visions that presumably gave rise to the mandalas eons before. Four. Huh. As Jung staggered into his twilight years, head full of mythological and spiritual insights, he threw himself heart and soul into his own personal myth. In 1923, following the death of his mother, Jung had purchased land on Lake Zurich in Switzerland, where he constructed a quaint fairy tale tower, dubbed Bollinger Tower. Look, Jung another tower. Mm -hmm. It's not a shit tower, though. No, quite the opposite. Uh, dubbed Bollinger Tower, Young added an additional story in 1927 after the death of his wife to commemorate her passing and, in his own words, to signify, quote, an extension of consciousness achieved in old age. In 1950, on the occasion of his 75th birthday, Young set up a stone cube on the lakeshore just west of the tower, inscribing it on three sides. One sign contains uh, a quote taken from the Rosarium Philosophorum. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's Latin. Um, it means, I'm not going to read the Latin, but it, it translated means, here stands the mean, uncomely stone. Tis very cheap in price. The more it is devised, the more it is despised by fools, the more loved by the wise. A, de a dedication is also inscribed on the side, on, on this side of the stone, uh, just in memory of his 75th birthday. Uh, the second side of the cube depicts a homunculus bearing a lantern and wearing a hooded cape. The Greek inscription attributed to uh, Heraclitus, Her Hera Heraclitus, Heraclitus, <laughs> Herc Hercules, Hercules, uh, but not. It's uh, a lot of Hercules, Heraclitus. Right. Herac I can't say it. <laughs> Time is a child playing like a child, playing a board game, the kingdom of the child. This is uh, Telosphorus, the ro who roams through the dark regions of this cosmos and glows like a star out of the depths. He points the way to the gates of the sun and to the land of dreams. The third side of the cube is the side that faces the lake. It bears a Latin inscription taken more or less from the alchemical texts he studied. Quote, I am an orphan, alone, and nevertheless, I am found everywhere. I am one, but opposed to myself. I am youth and old man at one at one and the same time. I have known neither father nor mother because I have had to be fetched out of the deep like a fish or felled like a white stone from heaven. In woods and mountains I roam, but I am hidden in the innermost soul of man. I am mortal for everyone, yet I am not touched by the cycle of aeons. And then it finishes by saying, I love gold! <laughs> What's the fourth side? The fourth side. Uh, of the cube. No, that was the fourth side. There was, that was, that was oh, I thought sides. that was the third side yeah. of the cube. Yeah. The door. The, the door. fourth is the door. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so that that is as best I could possibly do. And I'll have to revisit it sometime because there's just so much to unpack. But yeah, so he goes from having a dream that going makes him think, well, maybe Freud's wrong about you know, well, he doesn't just have a dream. To... He has a whole background that is a mystic, mystic exactly, background exactly. And his, informs and his, his, uh, his grandmother and mother, who were mediums, were also part of a Reformed Christian sect that were mm -hmm. part of that. And there's something about, uh, I forgot to mention it, but his grandfather, uh, who was also named Carl, it was just spelled differently, K, attended a weird Odinic ritual that took place in Germany where, like, they, they a bunch of romantics got together and, like, rented out this castle tower and they, like, had this weird kind of thing where they like burned books that they felt were not that were they burned books that were um 
not dramatic. I mean, it's kind of troubling mm -hmm. to, to think about, you know, the other people that'd be burning books just a couple generations later. Right. Um, and, you know, there were ties to the Nazi. I mean, it was, yeah. well, but it I mean, seems like, first, I, I don't think first Jung. First World War time period, yeah. which yeah, yeah, transitioned yeah. very easily mm -hmm. into that Nazi. But a really fascinating place. subject. That I mean, is. Just the fact that one of the founders of, of, um, well, I don't want to say pop psychology because that sounds pejorative, but you know, it, the, the most people got pop into psych. psychology. Yeah, I mean, it's a class. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. Pop psych is, a class. but a lot of it has to do with Jung, and Jung had a lot to say and think about the paranormal, yeah. which he's like, yeah, that shit's real because why not? Because why not? You know? Well, yeah. and again, if if you have an elevated thought about how the brain works, and then it can work on these other planes of existence, then why mm -hmm. would there not be? Right. One that's more than normal and mm -hmm. supernatural, mm -hmm. you know. That I was obsessed sense. with Young when I was younger, <laughs> uh -huh. and I read a lot of stuff. He's he's difficult to read, um, well, uh, I find, but he's really rewarding, and uh, yeah. But I'm, it's fascinating. That's a fascinating guy. Yeah, that's fascinating crazy. Guy. Cool. Um, thank you. You're welcome for that. My thank you for. My brain feels currently like it's about three minutes behind. About to tap into the collective unconscious? I might be there right now. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, so we have a bit of an announcement. We do. We do. We are coming up on our one year. Cheers. It's so crazy. Cheers. Uh, we're just drinking soda because I'm, we're, we're both on too high. much cough medicine to have mm -hmm. any alcohol, but we're drinking soda. I am doing fine right now. Um... But we're coming up on a year. October 1st is our, our year anniversary Yes. Uh, for having the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll be at 52 episodes in three weeks, I That's think. That's so crazy. So That's crazy. That's so great. Four weeks? Four weeks? I don't know. Like Math. A month. We're going to be there in a month. So just like we did when we first announced the podcast, we announced a month ahead of time mm -hmm. that we were going to be starting the podcast, Citizen so Your Stories. Right. We are announcing a month ahead of time mm -hmm. that we are officially and finally da, 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 da. going to have a Patreon. Yay! So we're announcing it. We have a deadline. We're going to have to fucking do it we're now. We're going to fucking stick to it. We will be offering things. Yeah, we, some fun stuff. We got some good ideas. We have great ideas. Please, though, if you have any ideas. We're open to yours. We are open to hearing what you have to say. Mm. Things that you want to hear from us. Um, things that you would want in a Patreon. What you would expect. We are going to try to keep it simple. Um, because time is precious. Mm -hmm. um, we've also discussing maybe uh, creating some, somewhat of a network. And bringing some other podcasts onto. Yeah. Uh, in, into our little world. Oh, that'd be so that, much fun. We know, know so many interesting people that do. should be doing we podcasts. Do. So um, that is a potential, but definitely the Patreon is where we want to start. Mm. Um, and that will be on October 1st. We'll be releasing that. I will try to remember to announce it on Twitter and Instagram and stuff tomorrow. But yes. if I'm on cough medicine, there's no promises. So <laughs> we definitely, though, tomorrow is the first because we're mm. recording this mm -hmm, on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So the podcast doesn't come out till Monday. So it'll be a little a day late. Right. But right. Um, we wanted you guys to know that and uh, have all that information. Email us at ghoulintentions.com or ghoulintentionspodcast, pod, ghoulintentionspodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Yes. You can also submit your stories and submit ideas with your mm -hmm. stories mm -hmm. on the uh, website, ghoulintentions.com. Tweet us, ghoulintent, at mm. ghoulintent. Our Instagram is Ghoul Intentions. Um, you can message us there, but I don't know if I'll read it because I still get confused about the Instagram <laughs> messages. 
Um, <laughs> I do, I, I'm just going to be honest. Uh, and so. Too many apps. Too many apps. There's so many apps. Um, but let us know what you guys want because we really want to make sure mm. that the listeners are getting what you what you want and that we are still getting to do the fun stuff that we love to do. Yes. So, um, I mean, first things first, I'm going to make Michael read some Edgar Allan Poe. That will be, uh, of course, yeah. one of those things. Um, I'll probably have some story reading in there too. Yes. We've discussed possibly doing, you know, the live mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, reactions to those. <laughs> really fun. To the, the videos we have so much fun reacting to anyway. Um, stuff like that. But if there's anything more, um, please let us know. Yeah. And, and thank you for listening to us yeah. for, I mean, almost a almost year a now, year. guys. This is amazing. A lot of you have been with us from the beginning. Yeah, and we keep growing and every month. Those of you that have a lot of you that have come in on board recently have gone back and made mm-hmm. up for lost time by listening mm-hmm. to everything. Like, I have a friend that just recently, he's like, yeah, I just binged all your episodes in like a couple of weeks. I know. And I'm like, it's, damn! I know, yeah. So we just, I mean, we really, really appreciate all of the support. and Because yeah. um, we have a fucking ball doing this. I know. This. If you we're can't tell, time. we have a ball doing this. Yes. Even yes. when we're sick. <laughs> right. We still do it. Damn it. We yep. Go through. Yep. Um, so, yeah, with that, just, you know, keep all of those things in mind. We cannot tell you how much we love you and appreciate you giving us the opportunity to do that this and then also listen to it so we're not just talking into the ether that's really cool too <laughs> that, you know we're not alone right we're not alone right. in our it's passion nice for these know. ghost stories and the true stories mm-hmm. and you know this just the spooky ones just as well the, the fun and the how history fun, much fun it is to be scared and to also learn yeah. things and, and that shit's fucked up and that's okay we can talk about it yes and indulge in those morbid mm. Mm morbid things it's a part of death is a part of life so it only makes sense right and um you know our anxieties talking about all of our anxieties (laughs) it's so nice it's important it's healing this is this is a healing it's like a it's like a campfire we can all get around and just be real and i just feel so much more connected Mm -hmm. to you know i don't know i guess the collective (laughs) Um, but to you know the people that i meet you know when we meet you guys and you say you listen to the podcast, that we are not bullshitting you when we freak out. We love yeah. to meet you guys because mm-hmm. um, it's a passion project for us. And it so is. Just a it little is. Different, and we so. also love, it's reaching out through story because, yeah. I mean, that's what connects us all is stories. And if you have right. a story to tell, like, we want to hear it. And, like, we want to tell you our stories. You yeah. know, that's, that's what and this is all about. truth be told, don't tell other people this, but we like you guys better. You're so much cooler than any of the so other people we meet. Much cooler. So much fucking cooler. <laughs> and we meet true. some really cool people. We do. But you're cool. But you're cool. <laughs> I'm not just saying that either. We talk about it all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, we met this person. They're so cool. Yeah, and we ask for ghost stories when we're, when we're in lines. We ask for ghost stories. Like everyone's just going to have to wait. We're being told a ghost story. Right. Sorry. Hold on. Hold that thought. Yeah. Oh my Always gosh. takes priority. Yeah. There's There are a couple in Colorado Springs. We already mm-hmm. got one mm-hmm. in. Um, but I'm we waiting. Better send it in. If you are you listening, better send it in. if you are listening, and you're the mortician, please send oh, your shit in. We I'm want it you. so I'm bad. It's so, I mean, this story, send you guys, it is so good. In. It was so good, it but we so don't. Good. I don't have the right. We don't have the right to tell we don't it. Have the right to tell it. Yeah, it's but if he story. doesn't write it, in, we will. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> we will do it. Um. All, all right. right. Well, thank you guys again. We appreciate it. Don't forget to message us. Let us know what you think. Don't forget to send in all your creepy stories. And remember, it's, it's okay, okay to sleep with the lights on. on.